Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to John chapter 13 and stick your finger in there. And if you do not have a Bible, maybe you can pull one up on your phone. And if you don't have a smartphone, there are Bibles under the seats in front of you or next to you. So tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, hey, can I have the Bible that's under your seat? It's paperback version, and we would love for you to keep that. Take that home with you if you do not have a Bible. Consider that one of our gifts to you today so that you have the Word of God with you wherever you go. Um, So John chapter 13, that's the New Testament. That's the fourth book in the New Testament, one of the Gospels. And so if you stick your finger there, we'll get there in just a moment. Um, As I was preparing for uh, this Easter series months and months and months ago, in case you guys don't know, I plan about six months out, and the Holy Spirit does what He wants but I get kind of a general idea of where I'm going about six months out. Um, And we are doing a series called uh, Unexpected, okay? Um, And Dennis, do you mind just flipping the red dot so we get a little better imagery here? Uh, Yeah, there we go. We're doing a series called Unexpected um, for this Easter um, uh, season. And um, as God was working on me, I started thinking about the Easter story and I started thinking about Jesus's life And I realized God never does things the way I expect him to do things. You guys experience that in your own life? Like you you know how God should do something. And so when you pray, you're like, dear Jesus, why don't you X, Y, and Z? And then, surprise, God doesn't do it like you tell him to do it, right? I'm not the only one, right? No? Okay, okay. So, so God does things that are slightly unexpected in my life. And when I was looking at Scripture and I was looking at Jesus' ministry and the Easter story and the reactions to the people in those stories, not necessarily what he was doing, but people's responses, I realized pretty much everything Jesus did was unexpected. Everything he did was contrary to what people thought he was going to do. They thought he was going to go this way, but he went that way. They thought he was going to say one thing, and he said the exact opposite. And then he was constantly doing something different than what we expected. When he came to earth, Jesus took this whole system of how we relate to him and how we are supposed to do and be, and he turned it upside down and inside out and backwards, and he constantly did the unexpected. A few quick examples. He told religious leaders... Like he went into the synagogues and told religious leaders, your dad is the devil. Totally unexpected. I'm not even paraphrasing, okay? Like he straight up looked them in the face and said, you are sons of the devil. That's kind of unexpected. I'll feel a little awkward if someone walked into the church on Sunday morning and said, your dad's the devil. But Jesus did the unexpected, okay? Jaws hit the ground in that moment, I imagine. Um, He went and touched lepers. Right? You didn't do that back then because that was unclean. In fact, lepers had their own little villages. And when you became a leper, you went away from everybody else. But Jesus was like, these are my peeps. And so he went to them and he touched them and even healed them. And so he did the unexpected there, right? He defended the marginalized over and over and over again. The prostitutes, the single women, you name it. The tax collectors, everybody. The people who said... These are on the fringe. 
These are the people we don't relate to. These are the unclean people. Jesus is like, I'm going to have them over for dinner. And when people say they're dirty sinners, I'm going to be like, you want to know what? Hold the fact train. If you are without sin, then you can cast the first stone. If not, keep your mouth shut. And that was a little unexpected, okay? And so he constantly lived like this. In fact, he even claimed to be the son of God, which nobody really did, right? That was completely unexpected. His entire life and way of ministry is characterized by the unexpected. And so this Easter series, I wanted to highlight a handful of moments through the last week of Jesus's life, okay, where we would look at some of the qualities of the unexpected and how we might um, work that into our lives and apply that to our hearts. So today, we are going to look at the unexpected bath, okay? Nobody wants an unexpected bath. That's just awkward, right? Right? Like, I'm a guy that likes to be dry. They're being very transparent with you all this morning and all of you online. There are dry times and wet times in the life of Pastor Peter. There are only very few times that are appropriate to be wet, okay? Showering, very important, right? Okay? And, um... And uh, washing your hands, I consider that, you know, the part of the cleaning aspect. Okay? And baptizing people. Other than that, I do not like to be wet at all. Zero, zip, zilch. And when I told my youth group this, when I was a youth pastor, I should have never done that. Because, because, and I trust you, because they would come out of the bathrooms with wet hands, and they would walk right up behind me and wipe it on my neck or down my arm. And I just, I don't like that sensation. I just really don't, okay? So unexpected bath for me is like a no-no. Like we don't get Pastor Peter wet when it's not time to be wet, okay? But Jesus kind of just jacked with his disciples, okay? And I have to believe that there was a disciple among the 12 that was a little bit like that. Like, don't, I don't want to be wet, dude. And so Jesus stretches us a little bit in the way he does things that are unexpected. And if I was a disciple in Jesus' day, I would have been unexpectedly bathed. And I would have had to wrestle with what that meant for my life and my faith. And that is kind of where God took me this morning. So um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to pick up in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, going through verse 20. And when you stand, I assume you're all there, so I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll ask God to reveal his heart to us this morning. Lord, as we read your holy word, um, and as we read um, this parable in action, um, as Jesus is trying to teach a truth to his disciples through his very actions, I pray that we might really wrestle with what this might mean for us. He did something completely unexpected, and we need to learn what that means for our life this morning. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would speak directly to each one of us. We gather here for corporate worship as one body, but we also are individual members of that body that need to receive from you in individual ways. And so this morning, as we read from your word and as we study, I pray that you would show us your heart, that you would reveal to us any ways in which we do not align with your word, and that you would tenderly and graciously draw us into your presence this morning. The preaching of the word is a powerful thing, and we submit to it our whole hearts, minds, souls, and strength this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he had loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it 
into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and he took on himself a towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head. I love Peter. <laughs> Um, and Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you is. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If them I am your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I am chosen. But the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will also believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. You all familiar with this passage in some context? You've heard about foot washing, right? And you think, please, pastor, don't do the foot washing. Like, do not wash. No naked feet in church, pastor. Anybody had that thought when I opened up this passage? A handful of you? Great. Okay, just, do, just so you're not sweating it out the whole thing, we are not going to cause you to get your feet naked. Nobody's feet is going to get washed here in this service today, okay? Um, there's time and a place for that, and that's not what's going to happen today. Now, um, I want to kind of frame this story for you today because we don't understand foot washing in the context that it was written and lived in this day and age, in the days of the Jesus time, okay? And so I need to frame this for you a little bit. Now, um, time frame. Uh, we are uh, 24 hours before Jesus is killed on the cross, okay? That's the time frame. So put this in your mind. We are 24 hours until Jesus draws his last breath, okay? This is the night before he dies on the cross. He is going to be betrayed in just a few short hours, okay? And he's gathered his disciples together, and he says, I want to have a meal with my friends, okay? Now, he knows the timeline, right? He knows that he's about to return to the Father. He knows that he's about to be betrayed and crucified in a most horrible way and die for the sins of the world. But his disciples, like, they're a little clueless. Like, they love him, but they don't really get what he's saying. You ever feel like that where Jesus is talking to you? And like you're just scratching the surface of what he's telling to you. And you're hoping one day you're going to get the depths of it. Anybody? 
No, you all are like right on board. Thank you, Blaze. Blaze is honest this morning. I'm with you, brother, right? God speaks to me sometimes, and I'm like, I'm not sure I fully understand what you're telling me. Jesus says, you will understand in time to these people because they didn't understand when he gathered them together for this meal, this was his last meal with them. This was the last Passover before he would be betrayed and crucified. And he found this in his own heart and mind, a very special and unique opportunity because he was going to be betrayed by one of the 12 in just a few short hours. And he had these last minutes with his disciples. The last few moments to convey the most important aspects of his ministry, the most um, important thing that he could tell them he wanted to use as his last words with them, right? So if you knew you had 24 hours before you were going to die, and you knew that you had one last opportunity to gather your friends and family together for a meal, would you not want to have a joyous opportunity with that? But would you not also want to impart some sort of wisdom or some part of um, something you could leave a legacy with, right? We know that you just... You want to share what's on your heart with the people you care about in the last moments that you have, right? Is anybody else with me on this, right? Okay. So we might kind of think of this as a last will and testament, right? As Jesus is imparting the very most important distilled nature of his mission and message to his disciples. And he had to make it memorable, right? Because if this was the last thing that they were going to hear as a group of disciples from the Lord's mouth, it needed to be something that would stick with them. For the rest of their lives. And so he decided to distill his teachings and ministry into a nutshell. And to make it stick. To make it not be forgotten. To make it ultimately applicable then and matured after he was crucified and resurrected. He decided to give his disciples a foot bath. And we're like, big deal, right? He washed his disciples' feet. But we need to understand what that means in the context of this day and age. Now, um... Uh, Jesus um, gathered up his disciples, right? And, and do you know how they ate? Like we see the Last Supper in the painting, right? Um, can you get that mental image of that painting in your head, the Last Supper? I should have put it up there for you. But it's this long banquet table, right? And you've got Jesus in the middle, and then you've got all the disciples, and they're all like holding their cups and breaking the bread and looking at one another, and I'm sure jokes were being told. And the picture is kind of somber, but we get the idea that they're having a good old time in like a medieval setting, right? But Jesus didn't live in the medieval ages, right? And so in the reality of this Last Supper, they were gathered together and they ate as they did in the common tradition. They would come into the room and there would be a center area where the food would be spread out and lots of pillows and soft things around the floor. And they would lay down and recline on one elbow with their face towards the table and they would eat with one hand and their feet would be sticking out and away from the food because their feet would be dirty, right? Because they walked in sandals and they walked on roads where sheep pooped and goats pooped and horses pooped and oxen pooped and ducks pooped, right? Okay. I'm just being honest here, right? We, they didn't have the sanitation. I want us to understand that when they came into a house, they had poop on their feet, right? Very unclean, dirty, dust, poop, mud, all of the above. And so their feet would be as far away from the table as could humanly be conceived. Now, um, foot washing was generally done by servants. And so when people would come in, a servant would wash their feet so that they could come then partake in the meal and feel clean about it, right? So here's how this breaks down. You might be wondering 
why the bath, bath was unexpected, right? Because it's a common part of the meal of that day, right? Especially a special meal like Passover. Well, um, how about this? Jesus did it after the meal, not before the meal. That's weird, right? Like, the disciples gathered together and decided we're going to have this meal. Jesus has called us together. And they walk in and there's no servant to wash their feet. Okay. I mean, culturally, not unheard of, right? And so they gather together and they stick their feet, their dirty, stinky, poop-covered feet, right? Away from the table and they're eating and it tells us... Um, that they gathered together, and during supper, the devil had already inspired Judas to betray Jesus, right? And so Jesus then rose from the supper. They had already been eating, okay? So supper had been going on with the poop stink feet around the table, okay? I just want us to understand what this is like. But in that culture, it wasn't common for anyone other than servants to wash the feet, and even so than lowly servants. So mutual people... Um, uh, of the same status in class, they didn't wash each other's feet. If there was no servant, your feet just weren't washed at that time. And that was an acceptable kind of circumstance. There's no servant we'll just do without this time. But Jesus, having watched his disciples eat and partake together, realizing no one was stooping to serve anybody else, he said, well, I'll wash your feet. And he did it after the dinner. Okay? So he's again separating something in the minds of the disciples about clean and unclean. And it's not what's on the outside of your body that makes you unclean, right? It's what's in the heart because what comes from the heart comes out of the mouth, right? And whatever comes from the heart makes you unclean. And so it's not the poop on your feet that makes you unclean. That religious culture said, you're unclean, you have to physically wash. Jesus said, eh, you know, God made dirt, dirt don't hurt. So, right? So let's talk about the spiritual cleansing. And so he did something unexpected, and he waited until after they ate to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this tells us something, that God's timing is not our own timing. Amen? Amen. Right? So sometimes we wonder when we pray if things have been forgotten in the great, you know, celebration up in heaven, and we pray, and we don't get an answer, and we're wondering if God heard us. God's timing is not our timing. And he might be waiting to do something on his own timing. It's not that he's forgotten or ignored or overlooked. Jesus did not forget or ignore or overlook the custom of the day. He waited for a perfect time to do something according to his will to have the maximum effect for his glory and the good of those that were around him, right? So he washed the disciples' feet unexpectedly after the meal. Now, here's the second thing that makes this unexpected. Jesus took the role of a servant. It says right here that Jesus is Lord and teacher. Um, in that culture, lords and teacher, mm -mm, you don't wash someone's feet. People wash your feet, right? So Jesus was doing something incredibly significant here. Foot washing was such a, a lowly task that even for the most part, Jewish slaves and servants didn't wash people's feet. It was reserved for Gentile servants because they were already unclean. Jewish servants, like they would if they had to, but if there was a child or a Gentile or a woman who could wash feet, then by all means, 
they would get that horrible, dirty task. So this is the task of the lowest of the lowest of the low, because to wash poop off someone's feet is incredibly debasing and humiliating. And so it is reserved for the lowest of the lowest. So Jesus being the highest of the highest, right? Exalted above all names. His name is greater than any other name worthy to be praised. Jesus, he decided after the meal, I'm gonna rise from my seat I'm going to take off my rabbi robe, which is what he did. He took off the robe of the rabbi, and he put on the towel of the servant, and he wrapped it around him, and he tied it around his waist. And then he went, and he got a basin, and he filled it with water. And then he went, and all of his disciples are watching this, right? And they're wondering what Jesus is doing. And they're eating grapes and unleavened bread and whatever is provided for the meal there. And their feet with poop are sticking out away from the table. And he goes and he puts the towel of a servant on and fills the basin with water. And then I don't know what disciple he starts with, but at some point he kneels at the feet of one of his disciples and pours water on them. And then he takes his towel that he's wearing and he wipes the dirt and the poop from that disciple's feet onto the towel that he is wearing. And he cleanses the feet and he moves to the next disciple. And he goes around the circle of the table and he does all 12 disciples. This is a task reserved for the lowest of the low. And here we have Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior and Messiah. And he is doing something incredibly awkward. And you need to understand that once the disciples realized what was happening here, there was like a, the most socially awkward moment you could experience, right? Because in someone's mind, someone was thinking, should I interrupt Jesus and do this instead of him because he's Jesus, right? But you don't want to interrupt Jesus because he's Jesus, right? And so they're letting this happen, and it feels awkward. And then you read Peter's words, and Peter, he's just like, whatever's in here comes out, right? Anybody relate to that? Like, I feel a little like Peter. Yes, Blaze, Kate. We are on board with one another this morning. Right? And so he blurts out, you will not wash my feet, right? Because... You're my Lord, right? And this is awkward, Jesus. You don't stoop to wash my feet. Rather, have dirty feet than have you washed my feet. And Jesus responds back, how? If I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. That's pretty, like... So Peter's like, all right, wash me from head to toe. And Jesus is like, Peter, <laughs> right? I've made you clean. It's just your feet. Let's just deal with, you know, let's go back here, Peter. Calm down. I'm just going to wash your feet, and we're going to talk about the cleansing that's happening here. See, this, this little picture that Jesus gave us here is a picture of the gospel, right? Because he laid aside something. He took something up that was lesser than what he was, and then he wiped the dirt off onto himself. Can you guys picture the gospel here with me, right? So um, it says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped at, right? But instead, he emptied himself. The, script, the, the original language doesn't mean that he, uh, he didn't become God anymore, that he wasn't God, that he rid himself of Godness. That's not what happened, because when he came to earth, he is fully God and fully man, right? The original language is not that he emptied himself, but literally that he laid aside, that he set aside, refused to utilize all of his powers of deityness, 
He set those aside and took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. And then he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, can you see how this plays into the foot washing, right? He set aside his deity, like he laid aside his rabbinical robes. He took on the towel of a servant, right? Tied it around his waist. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What did he do for us on the cross for our sins? He died, right? It says in 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it's by his wounds we have been healed. So picture of the cross as he's washing the disciples' feet. You won't understand it now, he says, but you'll understand it soon, he says. And he's taking the dirt of their journey off of them, and he's wiping it onto himself. And he is literally taking, picturing, taking the dirt of their life, the sin of their life, off of them, cleansing them from being unclean to clean. And then he's taking it on them so that when he is washed, all 12 of the disciples' feet, including Judas, who has already decided in his heart to betray the Lord, he takes the sin of Judas off of Judas, and he wears it on his body, right? Can you picture the significance of what is happening in Jesus' heart and mind right here? He is walking through the motions of what he is about to do on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's even doing it for Judas. And there's not even a hint in him. There's not even a hint of, I'll do Judas, but... Right? <laughs> there's not even a hint in Scripture of Jesus saying, I'll wash your feet, but... Really? No. It says that he humbled himself and he washed his disciples' feet. All 12 of them, knowing full well what was about to happen. He gave us a picture of the gospel and he told his disciples, you don't get it now, but you will get it. Give me 24 hours and suddenly this is going to make a lot more sense to you. When I go to the cross, and I take the sins of the world and I lay them on my body and I crucify them and pay the penalty for all of the sins, for all of the world, for all of time, and I make you clean. This is how I will humble myself. And it starts in this room right now. He took the role of a servant. The third thing he did, and we touched on this already. Oh, yeah, okay, well, let's get to that in a minute. Um, he washed Judas. Right? Um, can you imagine? I, we look over this and we always think about Jesus' perspective, right? Jesus washing Judas' feet. Kneeling before Judas and scrubbing all the dirt and the poo off uh, Judas' feet. Have you ever thought about it from Judas' side of things? Yeah. Right? Like, you're Judas. Just go there for a moment, okay? You're Judas. You're sitting at the table. You've already conspired with the elders you have already arranged to betray Jesus. Jesus is going about, and you're watching what he's doing to all the other people, and you know he's going to come around to you, and you know that he knows, because he's already said it, that one of you is unclean, one of you will betray me, and everyone's like, who betray you, Jesus? We love you, right? But you know, because you're Judas, that you're going to get 30 pieces of silver in just a few hours for betraying the Lord with a kiss, 
and he comes and he kneels before you and he washes your feet, what is going through your mind and heart right then? I don't know, actually. I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. I, I'm not in the mind and heart of Judas. But we have to wrestle with that a little bit because we've sinned against the Lord and he still cleanses us. And this is this beautiful picture of Judas, right? Because Judas has already decided to sin, but we have free will. Judas had free will. He could have chosen not to follow through with it. And I kind of think this is this beautiful moment where Jesus says, there's another way. Could you perhaps let me cleanse you? But Judas refuses. And that's to fulfill prophecy and to fulfill the fact that he would be betrayed by one close to him. But there's still this offering on Jesus' side, freely giving forgiveness, even to those who are going to choose not to receive it. I think there's something profoundly deep there in that moment between Jesus and Judas that is unspoken. But I think we could probably all relate to as we've sinned against the Lord and have had to receive something. So here's the challenge to us, and it's right in the line with Judas. You're still in the mindset of Judas. Verse 8 I think I'm going to have it on the screen for you here. But verse 8 says this. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I want that just to sit with your heart and soul for a moment. If I do not wash you, you have some share with me? You have a lesser share with me? You have kind of a share with me? You have no share. That's a pretty definitive word, right? No means, in this context, it means none. It means absolutely zip. Jesus is telling us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through me. And you might not understand it now, but unless I cleanse you, you have no share with me challenge to us as Christians this morning is to receive what Jesus is offering. And for some disciples, it might have been very easy, right? Because they're like, okay, Jesus is cleansing my feet. I can receive that. For Judas, it might have been a little more difficult. For Peter, he struggled with what that meant, but he was on board with it, right? So we've got this range that we see in the disciples of people who kind of fit all the ranges that we might have. With 12 people there, we kind of get the idea there's 12 different responses. Several of them are highlighted, Judas and Peter. And we all fall somewhere within that range. But he continues, and he says, if you do not receive what I have to offer, you cannot have a share with me. So this morning, we must wrestle with the idea of what do we need to receive from the Lord What is he offering to us that in the stubbornness of our hearts, in our pride, in our holding back of sin, in our, ah, don't wash my feet kind of attitude, are we refusing to receive what Christ is offering us? And in some contexts, if we refuse, we have no share. And we must wrestle with our hearts. How often do we reject what the Lord is offering us freely. Grace, right? Mercy, encouragement for our souls. But we live a life that says, I can do this on my own. My feet don't need to be washed. 
I was saved and so I'm good to go. I don't need the foot washing on a regular basis. Yet Jesus is saying, I must wash your feet. You have been cleansed, but now let me wash your feet. There's this ritual aspect of the foot washing that was done regularly at every meal. And Jesus is saying, I am giving you something to receive regularly. And yet how often do we say, I'm good. I don't need it. I can do this on my own. In our hearts, we must prepare ourselves to receive and not reject what Christ is offering to us. That must, this, this is the one that God worked with me on this week. Even until late hours last night, I was at home, had my iPod going, listening to worship music, and really learning again to receive from God. How often do you go about life on your own power? Anybody? As a pastor, I'll admit this. Sometimes I go about this ministry, you know, I got this. And I forget, I can't do this without God's Holy Spirit. I can't do my ministry without receiving from God. The very gifts of preaching and ministry that he has given me, they are only available to me if I avail myself to receiving on a regular basis, daily, minutely, secondly, the Holy Spirit in my life, the correction and the rebuke and the encouragement and the strengthening that is only found by receiving God's cleansing. This is the one that's worked me over this week. But there's another one, and it's found in verse 14 and 15. So we must receive, Jesus says. But in verse 14 and 15, it says this, If then I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also need to wash someone else's feet. I gave you an example, and you should do as I have done to you. Can we get any more clear from Jesus' mouth to our life? No? You should do as I have done for you. Right? Okay? So Jesus is being very explicit here. The challenge is not just to receive it. I'm stuck on this slide, Dennis. Can you advance me one? Okay. But I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And the challenge is to receive it and then replicate it. Right? And this doesn't mean you have to carry around a basin of water right? and wait for dinner every night. Or go to coffee with someone and you're like, time out. Jesus told me I have to wash your feet before a meal. No. Missed context, okay? If we understand the context of receiving this washing on a regular basis from Jesus' heart to our soul, then we understand what it means when he says replicate it, right? And this is hard. This does not mean a literal washing of our feet, but a life of humble service, right? Of sacrifice. To do what Jesus did means to take off your robe of pride, your self-righteousness, to lay that aside, right? To put on the robe of a servant and to serve people in your life. To incarnationally, to in the flesh, go to where the people are in your life, where they are struggling and serve them. Stooping down to the lowest common denominator and humbly serving someone as Jesus did. To give them grace where perhaps they don't deserve it. To give them forgiveness where perhaps they've never asked for it, right? Um, let me ask you a question. Um, who has wronged you? 
Now, in the most literal context, can you imagine yourself washing their feet? That's a rough one, right? Okay. Now, what Jesus is asking you to do is not literally wash their feet, but engage in that act of holy making and communion and intimacy and saying, I forgive you. We might not see eye to eye. We might not have to be best friends. But grace flows from God to me and through me to you. Right? What about this one? Who is marginalized around you? We overlook them, right? We put our blinders on. People who live on the streets, right? Um, that's the biggest context I can think of, at least in my own heart. And you see them and you think, I don't want to see them. What would it look like to pull your car over when you see someone? And to say, I can see you. Can I we go into the shop here? Can I, can I sit with you? Not just buy you a meal. Can I sit with you and share a meal with you? And just talk about life. Tell me about your day. What's going on? How can I pray for you? Take off the robe of too busy. Take off the robe of self-righteousness. Take off the robe of I'm whatever. Put on the robe of a servant and kneel down and meet someone where they are. Right? What about this question? Who is it that you struggle to love? This is different than people who have wronged you. Is there a people group, a cultural group, um, a lifestyle group that you look at in our society and you go, I don't understand. So, I just, I can't be near them. I, they make me angry by the way they do things. Like, can you think of something like that? Like, and then when you say yes in your heart and mind, you need to go, Lord, I need forgiveness. Because we don't have the right to judge people like that. Right? Take your hands off your hips. Take off your robe of pride, your robe of I'm better than so-and-so, your robe of I'm holier than so-and-so, your robe of I know better than so-and-so. Put that robe of humility on and kneel down to them and try and understand where they come from, why they make the choices they make. Don't judge. Jesus lived, right, in unexpected ways. Who did he hang out with? people no one else wanted to hang out with. Who did he befriend? The people that said they can't be friends with, right? Who did he say, I love you, to? But also, go and sin no more when there was some relationship and trust. We must enter into the lives of the people that we don't want to because that is the example Jesus gave us, and that's what he did for us, right? We were those people, let's be honest. Separated from God in our sin, right? We were the Judases, but then he offered us something. He washed us clean, and we received it. And now we are holy before the Lord. And Jesus clearly and explicitly says, I gave you the example, and you should go do it. And so we must first receive. We cannot give what we have not received. And the amount of grace you have received is the amount you can extend. The amount of love you have received from God is the amount of love you can extend. The amount of forgiveness you have received is the amount of forgiveness you can extend. And the beauty of that is God can give us endless amounts, but we stop him from working in our lives. We must start with the receiving and learn what that means for our heart and our soul. I'm going to pray and close this out. And as we enter into a time of worship, there is really one thing I want you to focus on. Of the two things, receiving and replicating, forget about the replication for just a moment. Typically, I would say, now think about the one person that you're going to go do this. I don't even want that to be the thing. 
God worked with me this week about learning to receive. And he broke me a little bit this week. Um, it kind of hurt, right, when I realized that I'd been trying to live my life in some areas without receiving. And God had to really work with me, and he still is softening me in these ways. We must receive what God is freely giving, and it might be forgiveness of sins, salvation for the first time. It might be that we've held things back from him, and we need to let them go and allow God to do what he wants to in our life. There is a multitude of ways we can receive from the Lord this morning, but no one is not going to receive because God is offering it. It's whether you will take it this morning. If you'll uh, play softly, I'll pray, and we'll uh, we'll close out with worship. Lord, um, Scripture tells us, I can't remember the reference, that you came that we might have life, that we might receive life, and it might be abundant life. And you said that if we come to you, anyone, you would give us water to drink that we would never be thirsty again. And in that context of that story, he was meeting with a woman who was marginalized on the outcast of society. And he offered her water for her soul. And she said, give me this water. She received water and was never thirsty again. You said, if we take our heavy yoke and give it to you, you will give us your light yoke. And you will lead us in ways of righteousness and holiness. Lord, I know where I need to receive this morning. You started that in me this week, and I'm thankful. I don't know where anybody else needs to receive, but I know we're all desperate for Jesus. Beggars at the table of God, and we get to eat, not the scraps, but food fit for a king, because God receives us and loves us and restores us and encourages us and builds us into his likeness. May we not be the hindrance, Father, to our own soul's thirst. Break our hearts down, get us out of the way. And as we worship you this morning, Father, may it be with kneeled hearts before you. Posture of the body doesn't necessarily matter, but the heart does, Father. Sometimes posture of body does. It helps us. Physically, I break into the idea of humility when I can physically do it. So Lord, kneel our hearts before you. And if so necessary, our knees as well. We submit our hearts and our lives to you. And we are open to receive what you would have for us. A replication will follow as a natural outflow of what we have received. We pray this morning to receive much from you, and it's in your name that we pray.